Well, hello, my name is Aaron Walton. I am the Happy Valley Campus Pastor here at Abundant Life Church. And I just wanna say thank you so much for being a part of our service today. I wanna give a quick shout out to all of you watching from our Sandy and Vancouver campus. And for those of you watching online or wherever you're watching from, just thank you so much for being a part of our church family and being with us today. Um, it is just an absolute honor. Over these last several weeks, we've been walking through a message series called Little Stories, Big Picture, where each of the speakers takes a story from the Old Testament and we just kind of dive into it a little bit so that we can understand the bigger picture and the bigger message of the entire scripture. And really it's an opportunity for us to kind of wrap our minds around and really experience what the heart of God is for us, for his creation, for you and for me to really experience his love and what he desires for us. And another way that we like to celebrate that is just understanding it in the context of Jesus Christ and how he perfected and really was encompassing the beautiful message of what God wanted to say to his people. And so today I'd love you to turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. That's where we're going to be spending our time. And we're going to be talking about Jacob. Now, Jacob is one of my least favorite biblical characters in the entire Bible. The guy drives me crazy. And yet here in Genesis chapter 32, we find one of the most beautiful and most amazing, one of my favorite moments in all of scripture. Something I come back to time and time again. And each time that I do, I'm challenged by it, I'm encouraged, and I continually find amazing truth. Um, so let's dive in, but before we get to the story, I just wanna give you kind of a quick overview of Jacob. Um, really, the best way to define Jacob is that he was uh, a, a man defined by betrayal and deception. I mean, you read through the book of Genesis and you read through the story of Jacob and you're just like, this guy is such a punk. He is a jerk. He doesn't care who he hurts and how he hurts people. He just wants what he wants and he goes and he takes it. And most of his betrayal and deception is focused on his twin brother, Esau. It says that even in the womb, and the scripture talks about how even when they were in their mother's womb, that Jacob and Esau wrestled with each other. They fought, they jostled with each other. And as they were being born, Esau being the firstborn, it said that Jacob was born grasping onto his brother's heel, basically trying to say, listen, I know you're the firstborn, but I'm going to ride your coattail and I'm going to get as whatever you're going to get. I'm not letting you have any spotlight. And then it comes into full reality, the deception and betrayal of Jacob, when later on in the story, later on in the book of Genesis, we see Jacob steal Esau's birthright and blessing. Now, we don't understand that in our current cultural context, but for the time of Genesis, the idea was a father would give a birthright and a blessing to his firstborn son. And the best way to understand what those words mean, really it's the idea of inheritance or wealth, respect, power, value, all of that was given to the firstborn son. And so Jacob being the secondborn son was not gonna be left in the cold. And so he goes and not only manipulates Esau, his brother, but deceives his father and steals that birthright away from him. I mean, talk about devastating. Talk about something that's unforgivable. This was one of the worst things that you could ever do. And so let me ask you just a quick question. How many of you have siblings? 
And how many of you have siblings that absolutely drive you crazy? You know, they've just, you've you've fought with them uh, throughout the years. You've had arguments, you've had conflict. Many of you might not know this about me, but I actually suffer from a very serious medical condition. Now, you won't find this condition in any science books. There's no remedy or medicine or vaccine that can cure this. It's incurable, but it affects one in three children in every household across the world. The impact and the effects of this are long-lasting and can never be changed. It's called middle child syndrome, okay? And it is uh, uh, the gift that God gave me to be a middle child. I have an older brother and I have a younger sister and the lot that I was given in life was to be that middle peacemaker between these two strong-willed, independent and intense individuals and trying my best to survive and I barely did. I wanna show you a quick picture of my siblings. The first is a picture of my sister. Check this out. I believe that we were baking cookies, uh, Christmas cookies this day. Um, This is my sister, Kelsey. I love her to death. She's one of my favorite people of all time. The story that I like to share about my sister is that when we were younger and when my sister, Kelsey, would get into trouble, which by the way, was a lot, okay? She got into trouble a lot. I would volunteer to take her spankings for her. I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. I would legitimately ask my parents if I could take the spanking for my sister because hearing her cry and hearing her get in trouble made me so sad and it broke my heart that I would rather have the pain of getting spanked than to sit there and listen to her cry. By the way, she never reciprocated that offer at all, okay? There was never a time she ever offered to take one of my spankings, just saying. My other sibling is my older brother, Logan, who I deeply admire and respect. There's a lot about him that I really wish I was more like. Uh, And so I wanna show you a picture that really describes my childhood. It really describes the relationship that I had with him growing up. Check this out. Yep, this is what I had to survive. Again, middle child syndrome. This was most of my upbringing, being choke slammed during a WWF World Wrestling Federation Championship bout. I believe he was Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid at the time. I was Yokozuna or the British Bulldog, one of the two. And basically this is what I did most of my upbringing was being slammed my brother left and right. Uh, the, the question I always have when I look at this picture is, number one, who is taking the picture at this time? And number two, why didn't they stop my brother from attacking me? But none of this compares to what Jacob did to Esau. None of this compares to the betrayal that he did to his own brother. This was so serious and this was so severe that literally the story in Genesis talks about how Esau, after realizing that everything has been stolen from him, all his inheritance, all his respect, everything that was granted to him, he made a vow that as soon as their father Isaac had died and as soon as the time of mourning was over that he was going to kill Jacob. I mean, we're talking serious betrayal here. And so Jacob, he flees, he runs away. And for years, he avoids his house. He avoids his family. He avoids his homeland. And he kind of goes on an adventure. And then here in Genesis chapter 32, we kind of come full circle where now Esau has found out where Jacob is and he's coming for him. 
This is what it says in Genesis 32, six through seven. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. So again, remember, Jacob, defined by betrayal and deception, steals all this from his brother. His brother vowed to kill him. He runs away, but eventually it all comes back towards him. And now Esau knows where he is and he's coming with 400 men. And Jacob is full and consumed by fear, anxiety. I mean, read through chapter 32. You can, you can sense it. You can feel the panic that Jacob is having. And most likely, the burden of guilt and shame of what he's done, of what he's done to his brother. And now he calls out to God. And in one of the most, one of the longest prayers you'll see all in the book of Genesis, Jacob cries out to God and says, God, save me. God, rescue me. I know I don't deserve it, but please help me up. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what Esau is gonna do, but I have a pretty good feeling of what's gonna happen to me and what he's gonna do with me with these 400 men. And then we see one of the most unique and interesting answers to prayer that I've ever seen in scripture. And it's in the rest of chapter 32, starting at 24. Follow along as I read. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win, the, man, the, the, the match, he touched Jacob's hitch and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. One of the truths, one of the, the challenges, and one of the encouragements that I see from this story right off the bat is this simple idea. An encounter with the divine leaves an indelible mark. Anytime you encounter the divine, anytime you come into the presence of the living God, anytime you come face to face with the God, the Father, he will leave a mark. He will leave an impression. There will be a change. There will be some kind of moment that can impact us forever. Now, there's a lot of mystery with this story, right? It can be a little confusing. We don't know if this was a man with just really like intense and enhanced abilities. A lot of people have classified this as Jacob wrestling with an angel. So we don't know, was this actually an angel? We don't know if this was God in human form. There's a lot of mystery. All we know is that this person that Jacob wrestled with that night was someone of an extraordinary ability, someone that was more than just a human, more than just normal. And Jacob even began to recognize that that's why he demanded a blessing. That's why he said, I've come face to face with God. The only thing that we can really understand is this. Jacob left this encounter with this divine being physically, emotionally, and spiritually changed. Like his life changed from that day forward. He had lived his life for a long time doing his own thing, going on his own agenda for so long, hurting a lot of people along the way, making a lot of mistakes. And from this day forward, his life 
was transformed. And so I just have two real difficult questions that I want to ask you that I would ask for you to wrestle with and think about as we look at this story. And the first one is this. Are you wrestling with God? Are you in a place right now, in a space right now, where you're having that dialogue with God, where you're calling out, you're screaming out, you're, you're screaming out, God, where are you? God, I don't know where you are. I don't see you. Maybe you're asking the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to our world? When is this going to change? Maybe you say the phrase, I can't feel you, God. I want to know that you're there. I know people tell me that you are real, but I don't feel you. Maybe you make the, the statement, do something, God. Change my life. Show up, please. Or maybe you make the statement that I make way too often where I just say, God, make this decision for me. I don't know what to do here. So please, can you just give me a sign? Can you just speak to me? Can I hear your voice audibly? Please make the decision for me because I don't know what to do. See, I think this is one of the most unique aspects of the relationship that we as humanity can have with a God of the universe is that we can wrestle with him. We can ask some tough questions. We can come to him brutally honest with our emotions, with our feelings, with our frustrations, with our doubts, and with our anger. And God loves it. I think he takes it in. He wants us to come to him real and not rehearsed, not just kind of, oh, you know, whatever. Hey, God, I'm here. Like he wants us to be real and open and honest. And I think it's one of the most important aspects of our spiritual walk with God. And so maybe the question is not so much, are you wrestling with God? But maybe the question is, do you need to wrestle with God today? I mean, with everything that's going on in the world, maybe you've got stuff going on in your life. Do you need to come face to face with the living God and just kind of have a wrestling match with him to ask some tough questions? Maybe your relationship with God has become so routine and so comfortable or such an afterthought that you don't have that normal dialogue with him. You don't cry out to him. You don't ask him the tough questions. You don't wrestle through the hard things that are going on in our world. Or maybe you're someone who solely relies on yourself, that you trust you, your abilities, your talents, your strength. And when we do that, we miss out on so much that God has for us. See, sometimes I think we need to come face to face with God, that we need to find a way to encounter the divine so that we can realize what do we need to change? What areas of my life do I need to grow? What do I need to let go? What do I need to surrender? I love that word surrender. It's not a word we use a lot in our time, in our culture, because nobody wants to surrender. No one wants to defeat. No one wants to show weakness. But one of the things that I've come to realize is that when I've gotten to a point when I can surrender my will, my desires, I can experience something far better because that's the opportunity that God shows up and reveals to me the real thing that I need in my life to experience the best that he has to offer. You know, the story of Jacob, really the story of all of scripture, and it comes into full reality in Jesus, is that God has never stopped pursuing us. That's the beauty of Jacob's story. He never stopped pursuing after him. No matter how much betrayal, how much deception, how much hurt that he caused, time and time again, God continually went after him. And he had to get to a point because Jacob was so focused on himself, so determined to do what he wanted to do, that he had to come face to face with him. And because of that encounter, Jacob's life changes forever. And so hear me when I say this. 
And take this as a challenge or an encouragement. Do not let pride or comfort hinder the pursuit of God in your life. Because hear me when I say God is pursuing you. I'm not talking to the person behind you. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. God is pursuing after you. And if we focus so much on ourselves, on what we want, if we focus on our comfort of just being safe, we're gonna miss the opportunities that God has. We're gonna miss an opportunity to grow and to change. We're gonna miss the best that this life has to offer. Second question, just as important and just as hard to wrestle through. Are you wrestling with yourself? You know, the thing I love about this story is the dialogue that Jacob has with this man, with, with angel, with God, as they're wrestling. And when Jacob gets to the point, in typical Jacob fashion, he demands a blessing. Give me a blessing. But the man demands that Jacob speak his own name, which is kind of weird. Like, why, why would, what, what's going on here? What is this dialogue? So again, Jacob wants the blessing. He wants something to change here. He knows that this person that he's wrestling with there's something powerful going on here. There's something divine. There's something different. And he demands a blessing. But this person says, speak your name. What is your name? And so what is this person trying to get Jacob to do in this situation? He's trying to get Jacob to confess his character and his past. Because during this time, during the time of Genesis, your name connected to your reputation, your legacy. And we've already understood that really, when you look at the scripture, you see that Jacob's name literally meant grasping at the heel. Later on in his life, it really meant surplanter. And then as he continued to make the choices that he made, the name Jacob literally would come to be known as a cheat, as a deceiver, as a liar. And so this man says, speak your name. Own up to who you are. Own up to your mistakes. Own up to the person and the life that you have lived. One of the biblical writers, Alan Ross, says it this way. By giving his name, Jacob was confessing his nature, his way of doing things. He was a heel grabber, the deceiver, the crafty opponent. All that had to radically change before he would be blessed. He had to acknowledge who he was. I think this is one of the hardest things that we could ever do is come to the reality, to come to the realization, to confess who we are, the mistakes we've made the hurt that we've caused, the sin that we have allowed in our life. And yet that's not the end of the story. That's not why I love this. Why I love this story is the way this man responds. What happens to Jacob the moment that he speaks his name, that he admits who he is, that he calls out, yes, this is who I am. God gives him a new name. In this moment, in this divine encounter, in this wrestling match, God radically changed not just Jacob's name, but he changes his identity. And in so doing, he establishes a new relationship with Jacob, a relationship that he's wanting to have since the beginning. But Jacob's been running. Jacob's been doing his own thing. But now that he has come face to face with the living God, God is going to change him from the inside out. And he gives him the name Israel. And a lot of biblical scholars have said that main means God fights or struggles with God or strives against God. But the way that I see it, it's got two meanings. One, it does mean God fights with, God struggles with. And I think that's kind of the reality of all our relationships. We all wrestle with God. We all wrestle with obedience and doing the right thing and making the right choice. 
But what I see here in this story and what I see in the entire message of scripture and what I see come into full reality in Jesus Christ is it's not just a God that we fight with. It's a God that fights for us. God is trying to communicate to Jacob from this day forward. You have struggled with me. You have fought against me, but now let me fight for you. Let us walk through this life together. Let us have a relationship that I can define you through my love, through my grace, and through my hope. Basically, we have a God saying, I want the last word. And that's the second thing I want you to hear me say today. God wishes nothing more than to have the last word in our lives. Yes, we've got a lot of mistakes. Yes, we got a lot of garbage. Jacob, more than other people, had mistakes, made all kinds of hurt and pain, and yet God says, I wanna have the last word in your life. That is not who you are anymore. People have called you Jacob. People think that you are a deceiver, think that you are cheap, but from this day forward, I want you to be known as my child. I want you to be known as my son. I want you to be known that from this day forward, I will fight for you. I will fight with you and you are loved from this day and forever. God wants nothing more than look beyond the pain, beyond the mistakes, beyond the deception, the betrayal of your life and have the last word and give you a new name. See, this is why I love the story of Jacob wrestling with God is because I see it over and over again in scripture. And again, it comes into full reality and beautiful expression when God came in human form and came face to face with his creation and began radically changing lives through the life of Jesus Christ. And one of the more beautiful stories of this is found in Luke chapter five, when Jesus shows up and he starts interacting with some fishermen. And he says, hey, let's go out to this one area and do some fishing. And they look at him and say, man, we've been out all night. There's no fish. What are you, what are you doing, man? But the, for some reason, they go with them. So they get in the boat and they go out to this area and they start to fish, expecting nothing to happen. And then suddenly they get this huge catch. Again, these are professional fishermen. They know what they're doing. And yet they go to this place that Jesus said, and they get this huge and amazing catch of fish. And then one of the fishermen, seeing what's going on, understanding the reality of this moment, recognizing that this person that they're talking to is not just an ordinary person. There's something powerful about him, something divine, something special. He breaks. And I love how the scripture says, follow along Luke 5, 8 through 11. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man for he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What is the result of a divine encounter? What is the result of a face-to-face encounter with the living God? What happened to Peter when he came face-to-face with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his Lord and Savior? Peter was released from all of that sin, all of that guilt, all of that shame, all of that burden. And then Jesus began to rewrite his purpose, redefine who he was. And he said, you were a fisherman. That's great. 
you did an amazing thing, but now I want you to come and fish for people. I want you to come and be my disciple. I want you to help me point others towards my father, point others towards salvation, point others towards hope and healing. Jesus had the last word in Peter's life. And they began a relationship where continually Jesus would come back no matter how many times Peter made a mistake, no matter how many times he screwed up, Jesus continually had the last word in his life said, this is not who you are. You are not defined by the mistakes, the pain, the hurt, the chaos, the sin. You are defined by the love that I have for you today. An encounter with the divine leaves an indelible mark. You know, it's crazy to think that um, over the last five years, uh, I've been a part of this church, uh, which, it's, which again, just, it's just crazy to really think about. But I've been at ALC for almost five years. Before that, I was at another church for 26 years, Mount Scott Church of God. Love the church, love the people. It was some of the most amazing years of ministry I had. And I was on staff there at that church for 10 years. And the latter part of those 10 years, I remember getting to a point where I started having a conversation with God, having a dialogue with him about what I should do next. My family was going through a lot of uh, difficult situations, having a lot of difficult conversations with my wife about what the next should be. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if should I stay at this church or should I go and find something new? So I started the conversation, but really it was... um, not really a conversation because I didn't want to do it. I didn't, I didn't want to change. I didn't want to go anywhere. I just wanted to stay doing what I wanted to do. But the burden was getting bigger and the questions kept coming. And I knew that I needed to do something in order for me to really continually grow as, as a man of God and to really be the father and the husband that I needed to be. So in order to really make this conversation more than just an afterthought, more than just you know, a random thing every couple days of just, hey God, can you help me figure this out? I started to really spend some time in prayer. So I'd find a place in the church uh, where I would just go and kneel and just pray. And um, what I quickly realized was uh, that trying to pray like this is really hard, especially if you, want to, if you want to do a long prayer, okay? Because this physically does not feel well, okay? This is not good. And so I found that my prayers were super short. I'd be like, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I love you. Um, let your will be done. Good? Amen. Okay. And I just wasn't quite getting what I was needing to get in that time, that quiet time with God. So instead, what I started to do was I'd go into the sanctuary at my church, turn off all the lights. I'd sit in between two pews, and I'd just lay on the floor like this. And so I just started to pray on the floor, in the dark. Sometimes my eyes would be open, sometimes they'd be closed. I'd start off real formal, do the right prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that whole spiel. And then I'd get real serious. And then I'd start asking some really tough questions. I'd say, God, where are you right now? God, I need you. God, I'm confused. God, I don't know what to do. I know what I should do or I know I don't want to, sh- I just, God, this is so hard. This is so confusing. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to disappoint anybody, but I want to do the right thing. God, can you just make this decision for me? Please send me a sign. Let me hear your voice. I don't know what to do. Please help me. And as I started to do that, 
and make those cries and, and just start yelling at God and screaming these questions. I'd also have these moments that I don't know if you've ever had where the enemy just starts to speak lies. You know, you're crying out to God, but then you, you start wrestling with that voice in your head of saying, he's not listening. You know, he's forsaken you. There's nothing that he wants with you. You made your bed, now you gotta sleep in it. You made mistakes, now you have to suffer the consequences. And I was wrestling with maybe, maybe God, you want nothing to do with me. Maybe, maybe you're done with me. I, maybe I'm done. Maybe I should just walk away from ministry. Maybe I should just give up. And as I would cry out to God and as I would wrestle with these lies, I also started to, to sing. Sing whatever worship song came to my head. Just to remind myself of God's love for me or remind myself of his character or remind myself of the role that I'm supposed to play. And so I would sing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. And I did that for two months. Every day, went into the sanctuary, laid down on the floor, cried out to God, screamed at God, asked the tough questions, wrestled with the lies that the enemy was trying to say and tried my best to worship and remind myself who God is. And at the end of two months, something happened that is so hard to describe and explain to you. But what happened was God gave me a peace, a peace that really legitimately surpassed all understanding. It just encompassed me, it surrounded me. And I walked away from that prayer moment, that worship moment, that encounter with God and I went, you know, I think, I think I know what to do. And that, cause that peace developed into a strength and that strength developed into a courage and that courage gave me the ability to say, maybe it's time for me to go. And so I went home and I talked to my wife that night and we had a wonderful conversation. And I said, I think it's time for us to leave and find something new that God has for us. Now, again, God didn't tell me what I had to do, God did not force me to do anything. He gave me the peace that gave me the courage to make a choice. And that choice of leaving a place that I love, surrendering something that I cared for deeply, led me to this church. And I cannot say enough how beyond thankful and grateful and honored I have been to be a part of this church community over these last five years. It has been a joy you have impacted and changed me. I have discovered things about myself. I have grown in so many ways and I will forever be grateful for this church family and for you and for the love that I have received. And I cannot say thank you enough. A divine encounter leaves an indelible mark. I've asked the worship team to lead us in just one more song and it's a new song. I don't know if we've ever sang it before. It's called The Heart of God. And here's how the lyric goes. I try my best, but still I fail. And even then you're with me there. 
You remind me I'm a child of God, regardless of the things I've done. My hope is found in perfect love. Wherever you are today, I would invite you just to listen, to sing, but just to be reminded of the message of scripture, to be reminded of the big picture of the Bible, to be reminded of the story of Jacob, to be reminded of the heart of God, to be reminded of the love of Jesus Christ, that he wants to have the last word in your life, that the mistakes, they're real, there's consequences to the choices that we make, the hurt and the pain I don't wanna diminish, but God wants to have the last word in your life because he is pursuing you and he will never stop pursuing you. And he wants to radically change, not just your name, but the core of who you are so that you can experience the love that can transform and change you into a child of God. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I just pray, Lord, that you would all give us the ability to accept the truth that you're pursuing after us, that you love us, Lord, that you want a relationship with every single one of us, Lord. And if we need to come and wrestle with you, if you need to come face to face with us, Lord, so be it, Lord, because we know that a divine encounter, an encounter with you will leave a mark. It will leave an indelible impression, Lord. It will change and transform us forever. And so, Lord, I pray for that change. I pray, Lord, that you radically change your identity, not just our name, but the core of who we are. Lord, I pray, Lord, that those divine encounters that we have and the the divine encounters that we can have every single day will just rock us to the core. And Lord, that you would help us look beyond our mistakes, look beyond the hurt, look beyond the sin, and that we may experience your heart, that we may be changed by your love, and that we may come to know you deeper and in more powerful ways. I thank you, Lord, for this day. Be with us as we worship you one last time. And thank you again, Lord, for the honor of being in your presence. In your name we pray, amen.